Good morning, Faith Family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. If you would, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, uh, continuing in our overview of the book of Revelation, uh, we come to the next section, which is uh, chapter 12 and 13. One of the things I've said in this series is the book of Revelation is not chronological, at least I don't believe so. And this is a good example because last week, as we come to the end of chapter 11, uh, you really see what's the uh, end of human history, that final trumpet, the kingdom of God comes to earth, uh, final rewards and judgment. So if the book were chronological, you would think it would just end there. But what the book does is it keeps cycling through and telling the same story from different perspectives over and over again. And you're going to see that here in uh, chapter 12 and 13. And so if you're able to stand, would you please do so? As we look at Revelation 12 and 13, and for our scripture reading, I'll just read the first six verses of Revelation 12. Beginning at verse 1, it says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of of twelve stars. She was pregnant, she was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is nourished for 1,260 days. This is God's Word. Will you pray with me and for me? Uh, God has a word for us today. God, thank you for this time to be together, uh, to hear from you as we look to your Word. Uh, Your Word is breathed out by you. and Thank you for the grace of this weekly time together to be uh, instructed and encouraged uh, by your word. Thank you for uh, the fellowship of our gathering together and pray that you would speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. You've thought it. You've said it. And if you have children, I guarantee you've been asked it. Why? It's the question everyone from the earliest moments of life to the final breath of life ask, why? Have you ever noticed, Faith Family, that when you ask the question why, it often only leads to more questions of why? And this is particularly true if you're dealing with children. It reminds me of an old uh, stand-up comedy routine where uh, the comic was talking about a conversation with children on this very issue. He said, quote, you can't answer a kid's question because they don't accept the answer. They just keep asking why. Kids never stop and say, oh, I get it now. Oh, no, no, they keep coming at you with more questions. The other day, my daughter asked me, why can't I go outside? Well, because it's raining, honey. Why? Well, because water's coming from the sky. Why? Well, because it's in a cloud. Why? Because 
Clouds form when there's vapor. You know how you just start making stuff up as a parent? Why? I don't know. I literally don't know any more things. Why? Because I'm stupid, okay? Why? Because I didn't pay attention in school. Why? Because my parents gave me no guidance. Why? Because they resented having me. Why? Because they had bad morals. Why? Because they were bad parents. Why? Because we are alone in the universe, so please shut up and eat your french fries. It's funny because it's true. And if you are a parent or have ever been around small children, you've had that conversation, haven't you? But of course, the why question isn't just for kids, is it? We adults ask it as well. Why am I still single? Why are we unable to have children? Why are they saying these things about me? Why did I lose my job? Why do I have cancer? Why is he gone? Why? And we tend to ask this question the most when we're suffering, right? I have no doubt the Christians in the first century to whom the book of Revelation was written to were asking that very question. Why are we being treated this way by Rome? Why are we social outcasts? Why was Antipas killed? Why is John on an island? Why am I in prison? Why, 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 why? But faith family, listen to me. If you're going to ask that question, you have to ask another question, namely, how far back do you want to go? How many layers do you want to peel back? How many curtains do you want to pull back to get to the answer? Because in one sense, you could say, well, it was the Romans. They're the ones in power. They're the ones that hate Christianity. They're the ones doing the persecution. But why? Well, because they have a different worldview than the Christians. Yes, but why? Because they have a different set of religious presuppositions. Romans worship multiple gods. Christians worship one God. Yes, but why? Well, the Romans were influenced by the Syrians, who were influenced by the Greeks, who were influenced by the Persians, who were influenced by the Babylonians. In other words, faith family, how far back do you want to go? How many layers do you want to peel back to get to the final source of the persecution of these first century Christians, or for that matter, 21st century Christians. In other words, what's at the heart of your tribulation? It's what Revelation 12 answers. It's exactly what is unfolded before us, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with sun, the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her 
child, she might devour it. Here we are introduced to quite an apocalyptic cast of characters, are we not? A red dragon waiting at the legs of a woman who's about to give birth to a child in order to eat the child. You will not find that on any Christmas cards this holiday season. Nobody's sending out that Hallmark card. It is quite the imagery. It is imagery you won't forget, but it's not literal. That is, it is a symbolic picture of a literal battle, namely that between Christ and Satan. The woman is the people of God, the messianic community from which Christ is born. The child is clearly identified as Christ, the one who will rule the nations. The dragon in verse 9 is identified as Satan, the serpent of Genesis 3. How do we understand this? We understand this by realizing that Revelation 12 is doing for the eyes what Ephesians 6.12 is doing for the ears. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Revelation 12 is intended to give you a visual picture of this reality. Namely, faith family, that ever since Genesis 3, there was a promised seed. And ever since that promise of a seed was given, Satan has been on a mission to do one thing, defeat this Christ. And he did all kinds of things in the Old Testament of which we don't have time to go through, but things like polluting the human race in Noah's day, killing off Israel or trying to by the death of the firstborn in Egypt, by nations like Assyria and Babylon, all the way to the New Testament where come Christmas time, Herod is killing off babies. The point is that the enemy of God has raged against the Son of God, and despite all His efforts to thwart the plan of God, Jesus Christ was victorious. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to His throne. That's the quickest verse you'll ever find to go from the birth of Jesus to the ascension. The summary is to say that Jesus did everything He came to do. He fulfilled the mission of the Father. Verse 7, a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was what, faith family? Defeated. Defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down. And the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The point here is clear. Regardless of Herod's jealousy and Judas's greed and Peter's cowardice and the Pharisees' self-righteousness and three nails and a wooden cross, Satan did everything he could to conquer Christ, but the gates of hell did not prevail. He has been thrown down and Christ is victorious. Have you noticed that repeated theme? He is the conquering lion. He is victorious. And that's good news, amen? 
That's really, really good news, except for the fact that when the enemy realized this, he turned his attention towards you. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down, that is, defeated, he pursued the woman, that is, the people of God, who had given birth to the male child. The point here is this. Since Satan was not victorious over Christ, he has turned his rage towards the church. That is exactly what these Christians in the first century of Asia Minor are going through, and it's what we're still going through today. It's like the, they don't, they don't make them like Far Side anymore, but do you remember the old Far Side cartoons? There was one where two deer were standing beside each other, and one's got a bullseye right on the chest. And the caption says, bummer of a birthmark, Al. <laughs> Christian, that's you. The enemy has placed a bullseye on your back, and that is the source of your suffering. And let me tell you, he has no intention of playing nice. He is a roaring lion, and he is full of rage, and he wants to devour and destroy you. Faith family, it is time that we stop picturing the enemy like this, like he's some Halloween costume or cartoon figure. We must start seeing our enemy as he is, like this. He is enraged. He's furious. He's angry. Why is that the case? Because the Bible says his time is short. An end is coming. And the closer we get to that end, the more intense he becomes. And he is furious and angry because his sphere is limited. That is, he is not sovereign. There is a reason I picked an illustration of which there was an animal in a cage. Just like in Job, wherever he moves, he cannot move further than what God allows. And he hates it. He wants to be in control. He wants to be sovereign, but his sphere is limited. And thirdly, his defeat is most certain. He has been thrown down, and that makes him rage. Faith family, Satan is not full of rage because he thinks he's going to win. He is full of rage because he knows he can't. And so he is coming after you and he is coming after the people of God with every bit of intensity he has. And that is the ultimate source of your suffering if you peel back the layers. So when you ask the question, why am I suffering? Why am I being persecuted? Is it competing worldviews in American culture? Sure. But you haven't gone back far enough. Is it the fact that I have a body that is prone to disease? Absolutely. But you haven't gone back far enough. Is it the fact that there's relational conflict in my family? Absolutely. But you haven't gone back far enough. When you finally peel back all the layers, what you discover is this, Christian, you have an enemy who has already been defeated by Christ, and therefore he'll do everything he can to defeat you. 
But there's good news. God fights for you. God will protect his people, verse 14. But the woman was given to two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished. For a time and times and half a time, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the, great, that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The point in all this apocalyptic language and symbolism is this. God protects his people. He always has. God protects his people in tribulation. He always has. Now, this is where some people say the United States of America makes their appearance in the book of Revelation. How Lindsay to be one? Did you see us? The eagle of verse 14. There we are. Aren't you glad Ben Franklin failed in trying to make our national bird the turkey? Had he been successful, we wouldn't be in the Bible. <laughs> now, come on, faith family. Do you seriously think that's how the original readers of the book of Revelation would have interpreted this? Of course not. They didn't use their imagination. They used their Bibles. What is this imagery? It is imagery of the exodus the people of God chased by Pharaoh through the waters and found refuge where? In the wilderness where they were nourished for a time. And what was the language of which the book of Exodus uses to speak of this deliverance? Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. The point, I have always delivered my people. I fight for my people. I protect my people. Did they stay in the wilderness forever? No. They were nourished there for a time until, are you noticing a theme? They entered into the promised land. They made it home. Tribulation Triumph. Tribulation. Triumph. It's the story repeated, whether it's the story of the seven trumpets or the story of the seven seals or this now in Revelation 12 and 13. Your life, Christian, is moving in this direction. It is going from tribulation to triumph. God will protect you. Whatever Egypt you're in, whatever Rome you're facing, we must know today that there is security in God. It's the only security that can be found in tribulation, which means, you with me? Lakeville Sanctuary? Be very careful in finding security in worldly things. Verse 1, chapter 13. 
I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns, a blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leper. Its feet were like bears. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given the authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? Oh, we love the beast. We love the beast. Now, what is this imagery? By now, I hope you're seeing the pattern that we do not view this imagery through current events. We view this imagery through the Old Testament. This imagery is not new. It goes back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, it relates specifically to state power. Follow me, faith family. Please zone in here in the book of Daniel where this symbolism comes from. Babylon was the beast. Babylon would make your suffering go away if you would only give in. Just bow. You, you don't have to be thrown in a fiery furnace. You don't have to be thrown to the lion's den. You don't have to deal with suffering if you'll just bow down to the idols of Babylon. That imagery is then picked up here in the book of Revelation because the same thing is going on. All you've got to do is fall in line with Rome and we can make all your suffering go away. You don't have to go through this persecution. You don't have to deal with this tribulation if you would just bow down to the beast. In other words, Rome as Babylon, as America, as many other things in life present itself to you as a false savior. And Antichrist? It gives you all the promises of a Christ figure, but it's a false idol. Notice it here. The beast has authority in verse 2. Rome had authority. The beast was worshipped in verse 4. Remember that Rome required emperor worship. The beast was mighty in battle, verse 4. Rome was known for its military conquest. The beast persecutes the people of God in verse 7. And there was real persecution happening in these first century Christians' lives. The beast controls the economy. Look at verse 16 and 17 of chapter 13. Also it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. That is a form of identification. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. Again, this is easy to understand in its context. It's not talking about some end time stuff. It's talking about the fact this. Without the image of the emperor, you can't buy anything. You can't sell anything. You can't have a job unless Rome approves. Rome controls the economy. Rome is the beast of which controls your ability to buy and sell. And if you give in to the beast, verse 18, you take on 666, six, six, 
the number of compromise. That is one less than seven, seven, seven. In other words, this is the simple, when you peel back all the apocalyptic language, this is the obvious clear point to these Christians and to us. Are you listening? Whenever you're suffering, the temptation will be to find security in worldly things. Things that will offer you prosperity. Things that will offer you protection. Just like Rome. Faith family, hear me. What do you call those things? Idols. It is idolatry. Satan gives authority. That is, will use anything to offer you protection and prosperity so that you won't find your security in God. And in that sense, the spirit of Antichrist has been alive and well in every generation. It will be true in the end times, but most assertively it's true in this time. It's why John says in 1 John, beware of the spirit of Antichrist that's alive in every day. What are some of the beasts in our day? Let's talk politics. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, why don't we? I won't get specific and I won't mention parties, but have you ever noticed when people's candidates lose, their world falls apart? Have you ever noticed the rage or the outrage people have when it comes to politics? Why? What's behind that? Why don't you peel back the layers? What you find is a false savior who is offering to make your life peaceful and prosperous and give you economic hope and safety and promise to do what only God can do. And people buy the lie all the time. Or maybe it's not government or politics for you. Maybe it's marriage or relationships. If your marriage is going well, if your relationships are fine, you feel secure, you feel safe, you feel like things are going fine. It's an idol. It's a good thing, but it's become the ultimate thing. Or maybe for you it's finances or a job. If I have a job, I'm safe and secure, I'm prosperous, I have a paycheck. What's happening there? Idolatry. You're looking to your paycheck to do what only God can do. Here it is, faith family. Notice it on the screen. This is at the heart of the spiritual warfare taking place here. There is true security, Exodus language. I will protect you. I bore you on eagle's wings. I will deliver you. But that means you're going to suffer. It means you're going to suffer. Or you can fall for the beast. This false sense of security, whether it be your paycheck or whether it be America or whether it be the government or whether it be your family, and you'll feel safe, but what you have done is taken on the image of 666. You have compromised your faith. And you have looked to man rather than to God. What's happening here, faith family? Follow the flow of the text. These Christians are suffering. Why are we suffering? Well, how far back do you want to go? Because if you go back far enough, what you're going to see is that the source of what you're going through is spiritual warfare. 
But the good news is God offers security. Remember the Exodus? He's always protected his people. He will fight for you. So don't give in to counterfeit gods, be it Rome, be it America, be it money, be it family, that's going to lead you to compromise your faith. No, 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 no. You stand firm. And you fight this war. Chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before God. Verse 11, you should underline it in your Bible. They have conquered Him (laughs) by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. This is our strategy in spiritual warfare. These are the bullets, metaphorically speaking, that we load and fight against our enemy. What are they? Number one is we keep applying the sacrifice of Jesus. We keep applying the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that the sacrifice of Jesus continues. It's once and for all, right? book of Hebrews. I mean, we keep applying it daily to our life. We keep living in the gospel. The text says, how do we conquer? How are we victorious? How do we defeat our enemy? We conquer by the blood of the lamb. What does that mean? Faith family, if you've zoned out, zone back in. I'll play the lion clip again just to wake you up, okay? When you're in the midst of a warfare, the first thing the enemy comes after is your identity. If you're the Son of God, he said to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. That's the first place he goes. The the name Satan in Hebrew means accuser, one that brings accusations in a court. And he accuses us constantly, does he not? It goes like this. I see what you did. You're not much of a Christian, are you? Fake. Nobody's going to believe you. Your past defines you. I see the bitterness in your heart. I see the greed you have for money. I see the lust you have for her. I see the games you play at church. I see your lack of giving. You know, out of all the people that's going to go to heaven, you shouldn't be one of them. Have you ever heard things like that? What's your response when those accusations come? The response is not, I'm not that bad. Let me tell you the good things I've done. I'm better than most. No, 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 no. Faith family, let's be clear. The answer is this. I am that and probably worse, but my sin has been washed all of it forever by the blood of the Lamb. That's my argument. As the great hymn says, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That's the only case I got to make. That's the only bullet I need in the face of the enemy because I've conquered by the blood of the Lamb. That's how you fight. That's how you fight. When the enemy comes at you, He goes to God to accuse you, and God says, shut up. 
my son took their place. Comes at you. Shut up! I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Fight, faith family, in this spiritual warfare with the gospel. Secondly, is you keep sharing the gospel of Jesus. You don't just keep applying it to your life, but you keep sharing the gospel of Jesus. You notice the text says, by the word of their testimony. This doesn't mean just keep, te- just keep telling your testimony. Okay? That's a good thing. You should do that. But that's not what it means here is they keep testifying to the gospel. Faith family, hear me. We don't overcome the present evil age through politics. That was a good place for an amen. <laughs> Lakeville Sanctuary, I know you did, okay? We don't overcome the present evil age through politics or morality or being nice. We do it by continuing to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What the enemy wants in all of this is for the gospel to stop advancing. And to that I say, to hell with you, serpent. Literally. You may try to shut us down, you will not shut us up. Because we... By grace and in love, but with great conviction, will proclaim and testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's how we fight. You with me? Thirdly, we keep surrendering our life to Jesus. We don't just keep applying the sacrifice of Jesus, blood of the Lamb, keep sharing the gospel of Jesus by the word of their testimony, but we keep surrendering our life to Jesus. The, the phrase, they loved not their lives even to death. The point, faith family, is this. Both to these first century Christians and to us, the way to victory is surrender. It's like, that doesn't make sense. It does in the kingdom. Now, you think about that. The way to victory is surrender. I thought the way of victory is conquering. Jesus did that. In fact, He did that. How? By surrender. He laid His life down for us. We must understand, faith family, that the more we value our lives, the easier it's going to be to worship the idols of our lives. That'll preach. Will you let that sink in? The more I love my life, the easier it's going to be to worship the idols of life. But when we count our lives dead in Christ, we victoriously live in Christ. It's how it works. That's how you fight. I surrender to Jesus. And in surrender, I'm victorious. Amen? So what does Revelation 12 and 13 say? What's it all about? Through all the apocalyptic genre, all the symbolism, what is the literal message of it? It's this. The source of your suffering is spiritual warfare. God will protect you. He always has. He's got a really long track record of fighting for His people. But you need to beware of false gods, beast-like idols that will come at you and offer you false security only to lead you to compromise your faith. 
Stand firm in the sacrifice of Jesus. Keep testifying to the gospel of Jesus. And live daily surrendered to Jesus. And you will be victorious. That's the message of Revelation 12 and 13. Why? It's the common natural question to ask in suffering, is it not? It is, after all, the exact question Jesus asked in His. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Faith family, what's the answer to that question? Well, how far back do you want to go? Is it the self-righteousness of the Pharisees? Yes, but you haven't gone back far enough. Was it because of the greed of Judas? Absolutely, but you haven't gone back far enough. Was it the crowds that shouted, crucify him? Yes, but you didn't go back far enough. Was it because of, like them, my heart is hardened by sin? Yes, but why? Why is your heart hardened? Well, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But why? Because I was born with a nature to sin. But why? Because I inherited it from Adam. But why? Because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. But why? Because they listened to a dragon. The serpent of old. Who offered them prosperity and protection if they would just bow down and follow him. You've peeled back the layers. Now you've pulled back the curtains. Now you see why Jesus was forsaken on the cross as the Apostle John puts it in 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. My dear faith family, ever since Genesis there has been a battle raging and it is the source behind your suffering. But the good news of the gospel is the enemy has been thrown down. Amen. And even better news, one day you'll be lifted up. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for Revelation 12 and 13. What a message of hope. I know there are people across our campuses and locations who are suffering and they wonder, why? Well, how far back do we want to go? Because when we peel back the layers, what we discover is that we're in war. It's been a war that's been raging for quite some time. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus is victorious. Jesus has conquered. And because of Him, we will conquer as well. I pray that that would give us great hope and comfort today. Help us not um, fall into the false sense of security that this world tries to offer. Whether that be in a paycheck, whether that be in American politics, whether that be in relationships, uh, those can be good things, but they're not ultimate. Only you are ultimate. 
So let us rest in you, knowing that you will deliver us. You always have. In Jesus' name, amen.